47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen. Thank you, Kelly. Uh, Kelly, really appreciate um, your openness and vulnerability. Kelly's actually one of the elders at our church, and uh, she's a fantastic elder. She really brings uh, a lot of wisdom and insight and realness to uh, our, our spiritual leadership in the church. So, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, Kelly's fantastic. Okay, so my name is Key. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at New Mercy Palisades, uh, and I welcome you to our church. Uh, I welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, and, you know, I always say this, uh, I feel like every three weeks or something like that, but um, my, my hope anytime anybody comes to our service is that they would um, get to know how much God loves them, that they would hear from God. Uh, and so that's my hope for you uh, today. And we have a couple of different ways that, uh, today that you can hear from him. Uh, and I actually want to introduce uh, somebody to you. Uh, so everybody has a story, right? We, we all know that. Every single one of us in here, we, we have a story. We, we've lived a life, and we're continuing to live our lives. And uh, I'm not sure if you know this, but one of the core values of our church is uh, to get to know people's stories, right? Because everyone has one. And I'm actually part of um, this cohort of pastors. Uh, there's a seminary in California called Fuller Seminary, and uh, they let me be part of this small cohort of pastors. And uh, every couple of weeks, we get together and we share and we learn uh, things together. And one of the things that the leaders of this cohort uh, shared at one of our first sessions is, uh, in the modern world, there's actually very few opportunities for people to share their stories, right? Uh, if you think about life, besides maybe Instagram, but that's, you know, I mean, that's a very thin slice of what's really going on in your life. Uh, and so there's few opportunities to share your stories, and one of the things we want to do at our church is create more of those opportunities so we understand everybody does have a story, everybody is a human being, and, and I have a story, and I can be part of, of that journey with these people. So this month is community month. What we're gonna do each week is we're gonna have different people from our community uh, share a little bit of their testimony, uh, their, their experience of community here, here at this church. Uh, and, and we hope that it's an edifying and encouraging uh, experience for, for all of you. I don't wanna say much about this person because I, I don't wanna steal anything from what you're gonna say, but her name is Susan Chung and she's been with us over a year now, right? And uh, we asked her to do the uh, first testimony. So if you can give her a round of applause as she comes up. Good morning. I'm so honored to be invited to speak to everyone during Community Month. Um, I started coming to New Mercy in January. You could say I had a practical reason that drove me to switch churches. 
proximity. For the past several years, I had been attending a church approximately 15 miles away from where I live in Fort Lee. I was so frustrated and disappointed with myself for perpetually running into service late. I thought I could set myself up for success by sticking closer to home. My sister put NMPC on my radar, so I turned to YouTube. One of the good things that came out of the pandemic was all the recorded services. These made it considerably easier to check out churches. I could get a feel for the vibe and priorities of the church. One of the things that really impressed me about NMPC was the church's commitment to prayer. Week after week, Wednesday well and Saturday morning prayer made it into the announcements. I got the sense that prayer was an emphasis of the church. I liked that a lot. The church's pledge to be a place for the broken also resonated with me. It was some time before I came in person, but when I did, I felt my spirit awakening and marveled at how the theme for the year, Come Awake, seemed to be so personal for me. Even after I started attending regularly for Sunday service, it took a while for me to warm up. I was much more comfortable just dipping my toe in the water, staying anonymous. It took months to work up the desire and courage to stay for lunch. At first, the most pressing reason to leave after service was that I had to take care of my ailing dog. But even after that ended, I didn't particularly want to stay for lunch because I felt I didn't have anyone to sit with. What I didn't know then was that, honestly, everyone would welcome you to sit for lunch. I didn't know this. Instead, I felt uncomfortable and awkward. That changed after I joined a family group. This was a really great on-ramp. Through the group, I met six wonderful people. That really eased my feelings of being awkward about going to the cafeteria. What's really neat is that sometimes my family group makes up a significant number of the people at Wednesday Well, so the sense of community extends there. Let me just say a few words about Wednesday Well and Saturday morning prayer. Even though I knew how much these were emphasized by the church, I felt unsure about attending. Clearly, the Sunday service is open to the public, but still feeling like a newcomer, I didn't know if it was my place to join in the more intimate prayer times. One Sunday, Pastor Josh announced that the invitation to participate in these times was for anyone who heard him making the announcement. I took his words to heart and started attending. I value this time set aside to talk with God uninterrupted and have made it a part of my weekly routine. Sometimes I end up missing Wednesday well because I don't finish with work in time, but I try my best to make it every Saturday morning that I am in town. You may be wondering how you could ever fill an hour with prayer. You might be surprised at how much you have to say to God in such a setting and how important it is to give space and time to allow God to speak to you. I find that prayer in that setting hits different. Yes, we can talk with God anywhere, and we should, but there's a difference when you intentionally set aside time and space. When I try to pray at home, I get so distracted or fall asleep. <laughs> I find it easier to pray when I am in a place dedicated to God, and even more so in community with other believers. Pastor Bobe described this as the atmosphere of faith in a memorable sermon, which was one of the first in-person sermons I heard here. It really stuck with me. 
As we pray for each other, our community has our hearts knit together. So I hope that as a community, we would not see opportunities like Wednesday well and Saturday morning prayer as burdensome obligations, but rather as immense privileges. I hope we never take for granted the freedom we have to gather and worship and to access without limit the Bible in a language we understand. It doesn't seem likely that we would lose these privileges, but I wonder if that makes us not appreciate fully how blessed we are. I often think of the persecuted believers around the world who don't know this freedom. And it's not just about the political freedom to gather. We need the physical ability to gather. We need the mental capacity to gather. We need the emotional stability to gather. We need cooperative weather to gather. We need a location to gather. We need the time to gather. We need the transportation to gather. We need the safety to gather. We might take each of these for granted, but if any of these were to be taken from us because we became bedbound, senile, depressed, hospitalized, incarcerated, stuck in severe weather conditions, wartime, etc., I think we would surely realize just how valuable each of these things is. I work as a doctor in a, at a hospital, and I constantly see those who are bedridden, have dementia, are ventilator dependent, etc. These people do not have the ability or privilege to gather. So you see, it's not a simple thing to gather for prayer. I know that when I miss a week or two, it feels so good to return to the rhythm. Let's treasure these opportunities. I don't think I can talk about the community that is this church without spending some time talking about the leaders. Leaders set the tone for their communities. And in this case, our leaders have built an inclusive, welcoming, accepting environment. One thing that I really love about this church is the heart of servant leadership. Our team of pastors reflects different facets of God. When I see Pastor Kathy include a special segment for the children who attend Saturday morning prayer, it declares, this time is for you also. You're not just here because your parents can't leave you at home. This is a time for you to meet with God. When I hear Pastor Sam engage in very thoughtful discussion of God, I am reminded how we are to worship God with all of our mind, as well as our heart, soul, and strength. When Pastor Josh works with the production team or repeatedly offers his help distributing around my yard an enormous mound of wood chips in my driveway, I see so clearly a humbleness in his willingness to put his time and energy into acts of service. When Pastor Key invites the spiritual direction group over for homemade pizza, I am blown away to have a pastor say, have a seat, let me serve you or when he goes the extra mile to reach the entire congregation when the children participate in the main service, I have been so impressed by his dedication to deliver kid-friendly sermons about teacups in a Donald Duck voice or put on a magic show. These gestures are so meaningful. And that's only a fraction of what I observe. There must be countless other things, some of which are seen by God alone. And when our pastors preach, it's like a home-cooked meal. Sure, sometimes it's nice to go out to eat at a conference or retreat where there are other speakers, but I really love our pastors preaching. 
What a huge blessing. I can see that our pastors love God so much and care so much for the church. I hope that as a church, we can help them find serving this church as a joy. Several studies conducted of clergy have shown some sobering statistics. Feelings of burnout are common. It's been estimated that 50 to 85% of seminary graduates drop out of ministry in the first five years, and a staggering 90% of ministers may not make it past the 20-year mark. I hope, by God's grace, this church can buck those trends. I hope we can be known as a church that loves well and deeply our pastors, and also their families, who are often volunteered somewhat automatically. Today is Clergy Appreciation Day. Let's let them know how much we appreciate them. And let's keep in mind that one of the best ways to encourage them is to come out for a prayer meeting or join a family group. You'll probably make their day. Thank you, Susan. Um, just so you know, I did not read that. I did not read that testimony before. Uh, I, we should probably do that, but uh, we we give our people a good amount of freedom. But thank you for all those kind words. Uh, very much appreciate that. Susan has been just such a blessing to our community in so many different ways. Uh, she's part of our spiritual direction group, as she, as she mentioned, and uh, she's been uh, a real powerful presence there. Um, and I didn't know that Pastor Josh did that. You spread wood chips for, I should ask you to do You offered, okay. Yeah, he's never offered things like that for me. Um, <laughs> But anyway, thank you again, Susan. That, that was very encouraging to see the, the impact that community has had on your life. And our hope is that it would have that kind of impact in your life as well. Uh, before I get into the talk, I uh, just wanted to give you guys a brief update about our fall festival. Our fall festival was last Sunday. A bunch of you guys uh, came to it. Um, I don't think I put this in the newsletter, but uh, we had... So we were planning for maybe 150, and then we... We kind of, uh, is that me? Is that my issue? Sorry. I think uh, we just replaced this, but. Um, we aimed for about 150. We raised that number to about 200, but we ended up actually getting 300 people uh, on Sunday uh, for the fall festival. So over two-thirds of the people there were not actually part of our church, which was one of the primary aims of, of this event. Uh, and I want to thank our super talented and extremely hardworking planning team. This is all on volunteer basis that they did this, and these guys are, could put on a clinic in terms of running a, an event, planning an event. So I really want to thank them. All the day of volunteers, there are many people who helped the day of and really made it fantastic. And uh, there are a lot of people in our church who, as I asked, uh, really engaged in conversation uh, with people who were visiting the church. So it's the biggest thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for all that you did for that day. Um, and also we raised over $2,000 uh, 
that's going to go straight to uh, Children's Aid and Family Services, which is the nonprofit in Bergen County that we are supporting and partnering with to try to make an impact and a concrete difference in people's lives uh, in this area. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to give you a brief update about that. Let me just pray for us real quick, and we'll just dive in. Father, uh, as I prayed with my brothers and sisters before service started with the team, the worship team, um, you can speak in many different ways. Uh, and I pray that however you speak today, that we would hear you. Uh, I am just a broken vessel up here, uh, and I'm just trying to share some of what you've taught me. Uh, but I am a seeker just like everybody else. We're, we're all on this journey together to know you better. Uh, and so, Lord, I, I pray that we would not take this as, oh, this is the pastor speaking. No, this is, I pray that we would understand the Holy Spirit is, is working right now, and I pray that we would all uh, tune our hearts to hear from you, including myself. I pray all this in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. So as I mentioned uh, just before, October, October in our church is Community Month. Uh, now, if you think about church, Every month is Community Month, right? Because we, we are a community, and, and that's true. Every month is Community Month uh, at church. What we're doing during, uh, during October, though, is we're putting our community under a magnifying glass, right? And we're trying to see maybe some areas where we're a little bit out of alignment with how a church community is supposed to be. Jesus had a particular vision of what the church is supposed to be, uh, and we're putting a magnifying glass on ourselves to be like, hey, where are we out of alignment with that particular vision that Jesus has? And the hope is, as we look at our church community, that we would give ourselves a little bit of a tune-up, right, so that we can get back into alignment. Well, one of the ways that we're doing that is uh, we're going through a community month series titled Spirit Charged, Spirit Charged. And the question that we're asking is, what does an activated and engaged church look like? Right? What does an activated and engaged church look like? Uh, and one of the best places to, to see what an activated and engaged church looks like is the book of Acts, which comes after the four Gospels. Right? And, and our hope is as, as we look at the church in the book of Acts, uh, that that would be a target for us, that we can get our church more in alignment with uh, what the church looks like in the book of Acts. Now, a couple of weeks ago, before the fall festival, we uh, looked at prayer, because prayer is, is a fundamental piece of what an activated and engaged church looks like. Today, we're going to look at this thing called fellowship. Fellowship. So, everyone in this room, right, all of us in here, we know, right, and we understand that human beings need relationships. Right? Human beings need community. Anybody with any kind of self-awareness understands this. Right? I, I mean, at this point in our society, the idea that, he, that human beings need community is basically a, a truism. Right? I mean, we do live in a, a hyper-individualistic hyper society, but I think we, all of us in here, we all have enough experience with life. We, have, we all have enough experience with loneliness to know that we, we all need community. Um, if you've ever read any of the articles or studies out there that, that look at this, uh, and there are a lot of articles and studies uh, about this, uh, they all say the same exact thing, right? Across the board, human beings have better outcomes in every aspect of their lives when they have community, okay? From relational health 
to mental health, to even physical health, right, to longevity, to their careers, to their spirituality, and so on, right? And in some cases, the, uh, the difference in outcomes is so pronounced between those who have healthy community and those who don't that it's actually kind of shocking when you look at the data. And you have to wonder why we don't put more effort into building community. I mean, I know the reasons we don't. Uh, but still, there's, there's all this data, you just go, go on the internet, there's all this data that's just staring at us in the face that we should probably let that data inform our priorities just a little bit more. So human beings are designed and built for community. Okay? That's not a controversial statement, nor is it a very insightful one, right, for that matter. It's just true, okay? and it doesn't take a lot of brain power for, for us to see that. Now, there is actually a theological basis for all of this. Uh, so in the book of Genesis, it says that humanity was patterned after someone. Okay? Humanity was patterned after someone. Okay? Someone served as the original blueprint for humanity. Who does the Bible say that someone is? It's God. Thank you, Kathleen. It's God. In Genesis 1, it says humanity was made in the image of God. And what the Bible says and what Christian theology teaches is that God is a God who exists eternally in a triune community of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay? They exist, God exists in a community of love, of loving relationships. Okay? And what that means is relationship and love is fundamental to the very being of God. Relationship is baked into the fabric of God himself. And that part of God's image, God placed in us. Now, what does this mean? It means, as one pastor puts it, it means this. The need for relationship, therefore, is not a sign of our weakness, rather, it's a sign of our perfection. So at the beginning of Genesis, right, God, he, he starts creating things. And at certain intervals, as he's creating things, God looks at what he just created, right, in that short interval, and the text says that God saw that it was good, okay? And he does this over and over, okay? He creates something, and then he sees that it is good. And the text just keeps repeating that. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. But then, after he creates Adam, there's a moment where he sees that something is not good. And it's the only thing in creation that he says is not good in the beginning. What does God say is not good? He says, it is not good for man to be alone. It's the only thing in creation at the beginning that he says is not good. And so what God does is he creates Eve. What that means is the final crowning piece of creation is what? It's human relationship. Some people might say it's woman, and I think there is truth to that. But the point for this sermon is that it's human relationship. Okay, what makes Adam complete is relationship. Okay, and so what that means is our need for relationship is not a design flaw. 
Instead, it's an indicator that relationship is precisely what we were designed for. It's part of our design that reflects the perfection of God. So when you feel needy as a person because you long for relationships and you long for community, you are actually reflecting your good design. You are reflecting God's built-in nature inside of you. You know, our culture, the culture that we live in, right, it makes neediness feel like a weakness, right? which is why we try our best not to show it. Right? We, we put on this air of sophistication. I'm okay by myself. I don't need anybody else, right? But you're really not okay by yourself. And by trying to act like you are, you're only perpetuating in your life something that God himself declared is not good. Now, when I, uh, when I finally learned this truth for myself, uh, it was liberating for me because it made me realize that there was nothing wrong with me when I felt lonely and when I wanted to be with people. It was actually God's perfection in me expressing itself. I remember uh, my freshman year in college, I lived in the quad uh, in, my, in my campus, and uh, you know, I should have studied more, but one of the things I found myself doing fairly often is just roaming the halls, and people would always leave their doors open and just making friends, just ha- wanting to hang out with people. And at one point, I, I sat down, I'm like, man, I am so pathetic. I'm so sad. Why do I need to, why do I feel this need to always, you know, want to be with friends and, and be with people? But then I, I learned this theological teaching, and I was oh, that isn't a weakness. That's actually a strength. Now, some of you are like, wait, Pastor Keith, you're an introvert. <laughs> you like people. Um, I think this is a mistake that a lot of people have about introverts. It's not that we don't like being with people. Introverts actually love people. Introverts love relationships. They, they just don't like a thousand of them at once, right? Um, and, and the way in, introversion, extroversion is basically how we get energy, right? So, you know, I need a little bit of alone time to get my energy, but really, at the end of the day, I love people, right? We all, introverts and uh, extroverts, uh, we all need and we all want relationships. Tim Keller, uh, he says this, God made us so we have such a deep need for human relationships that not even paradise could satisfy. I mean, think about paradise, being in paradise by yourself. Would that be any fun? Right? So not even paradise could satisfy it, and not even a perfect quiet time and prayer life with God could satisfy it. God made us need other people so much. He on purpose made us need other people so much that even he himself cannot satisfy us all by himself. He made us in such a way that many things he wants to show us and many things he wants to give us can only come through other human beings. Paradise wasn't paradise without love. Paradise wasn't paradise without friendship. God made us like that. But there's actually another important side to this coin. So we're looking at one side of the coin. There's actually another side to this coin. So like I said, when you have God, but you don't have deep human relationships, that's not a good state of affairs to be in, right? But the flip side of this is also true. 
Okay, when you have human relationships, but you don't have a deep relationship with God, that's also not a good state of affairs. And this is precisely what you see when Adam and Eve sin, right? When Adam and Eve sin, a rupture forms in their relationship with God. And what you notice is when that rupture forms between them and God, right away you see ruptures starting to manifest in their other relationships, right? Read the story and you see it. Immediately after they sin, they start feeling shame, right? Shame enters the picture. And because of that shame, they hide from each other, right? The whole fig leaf thing. And we actually see this in our lives, right? We hide a lot from other people, don't we? Right? We curate very carefully what people know about us, not just on Instagram, but also face-to-face. And a lot of that hiding is rooted in shame and in distrust. The other thing you see immediately come up in Adam and Eve after they sin is also fear. You see fear. And that fear leads them to start blame-shifting. You see it in the story. Eve blames Satan. Oh, Satan made me do it. And then Adam blames Eve. Eve made me do it. The, The one that you made, God, she made me do it. None of them takes responsibility or ownership, which are two of the things you need in order to have healthy relationships. You see how the rupture with God leads to rupture in relationships and in life. Like I said in a sermon earlier this year, Our relationships with God, or our relationship with God, is the center of gravity around which all of our other human relationships orbit. So when there's a rupture in our relationship with God, or there's no relationship with God at all, all of our other relationships fall out of orbit. They don't reach the potential of what they're supposed to be. They they fall into uh, disarray. And you see this unfolding in real time in the story of Adam and Eve. And whether you realize it or not, it's unfolding in your life as well. Now, there's another nuance to this that I want to unpack a little bit here, okay? And this will lead us to the main point that I'm trying to make in the sermon. So when we don't have God in our life, right, or we don't have a healthy relationship with God, what starts happening is we start using human relationships to fill the existential void that we feel in our lives. At the bottom of every human being, right, there are these fundamental existential longings that we strive so hard to fulfill, right? The longing to be fully known and the longing to be fully accepted, right? The longing for for a meaning and a purpose at the bottom of our lives beyond just a rat race that we're all caught up in the longing for for a love that that won't go away, the longing for, for eternity. Eternity is written into our hearts. Every human being has these existential longings, and sometimes we might stuff those existential longings down with, or we try to address them with distractions, but at the end of the day, especially when people are at the point they're facing the end of their lives, those existential longings, they come right back up. So they're there whether we suppress them or not. And the problem with using human relationships to to try to scratch that existential itch is that they will never 
be able to. Only God can fulfill those longings for us. I mean, we try as hard as we can, right, to use human relationships to address our deepest existential longings, but human relationships can't fill a void that only God can fill. But the problem is, it it just doesn't get through our thick skulls, so we keep trying and we keep trying to ram relationships in there, right? We use romantic relationships, we use family relationships, we use our children, we use our friendships, but nothing truly scratches the itch. And so what happens is we end up blaming our spouses or our children for not making us feel whole, for not living up to what we need them to be. Or we we end up trying someone else on for size, or maybe a new girlfriend, maybe a new boyfriend, maybe a new romantic partner if you're already married. Maybe Maybe that'll do the trick. And we keep doing this over and over and harder and harder, and either we end up getting jaded, or we end up just using people repeatedly and crushing them under the weight of our existential expectations. And we keep doing this because we have forgotten that there is only one being who can scratch that itch for us. Uh, So right now, I'm in the middle of teaching a a discipleship course at our church. Uh, And the main text for this course is a book titled Hearing God by by Dallas Willard. Uh, He's the, the former philosophy professor at the University of Southern California. Well, in this book, Dallas Willard actually makes a really profound observation, right? And when I read that observation, it jumped out at me because it finally put to words something that I've experienced all throughout my life, but I just wasn't able to articulate. And this is what he says. He says, it is simply not within human capacity to care effectively for others in the depths of their life and being or even to be with them in finality, no matter how much we may care about them. If we could only really be with them, that would almost be enough, we think, but we cannot, at least in a way that would satisfy us. For all of us, the words of the old song are true. You must go there by yourself. So um, many years ago, when I was in my early 20s, many years ago, uh, I was in seminary, right? Uh, right after I graduated college, I went, I went to seminary, so I was, early, I was in my early 20s. Uh, and I remember uh, right after my first semester in seminary, I actually had to take a, a leave of absence from school uh, because I, I, had a, I had a health scare. Uh, and unfortunately, because of that health scare, I, I spiraled down into severe clinical depression. Because in my mind, I was like, what is going on? I'm in my 20s, right? Uh, And it took me two years to get to a place where I felt like I could go back to school. So my leave of absence lasted for two years. And two years, I'm telling you, in your early 20s, feels like an eternity. Well, one of the things that I remember so clearly from that time is as much as people tried to be there for me and pray for me and spend time with me and try to encourage me, uh, and don't get me wrong, it was all very helpful. Okay? But at the end of the day, what I realized is no human being was able to be fully present with me in the way that my heart longed for. 
because everyone eventually has to go away and live their lives because they're finite human beings, right? Somebody would come visit me and pray for me and say they're there for me and all that stuff, and then they say, I'll see you later, and they go, they live their life, but I am still there alone in my pain. And this is especially difficult for people who live in prolonged illness, right? You know, they get a flurry of people who care about them, and then eventually they feel very alone. Okay? And no human being, I discovered, can truly and fully plumb the depths of your suffering and all the things that you're thinking and feeling. Okay? No finite person can see you or understand you all the way down to the bottom. You know, um, in recent years, when my family experienced uh, a loss that some of you know about, uh, people would give us their condolences, okay? and they were very sincere. Okay, and we appreciated it very much. You wouldn't believe what those text messages meant to us, the ones that you guys sent us. But then on Instagram, just a few hours later, I would see that everyone was just moving on with their lives while my family was still sitting in our pain. Now, I'm not saying that to pass judgment. I'm not. In fact, I don't think there's actually ultimately anything wrong with that. You know, we do our best to mourn with those who mourn right, to, to support uh, them in their pain. But the fact of the matter is, human beings have to continue to live their lives, right? Lives have to be lived. That's just the basic fact for finite human beings. As physical beings, we can only be present with someone to a certain extent. As much as we might want to always be present with someone that's suffering, as much as we might want to always feel their pain or really feel their pain that they're going through, the reality is we have children that we need to pick up from school, right? We have spouses that we need to be present for. We have obligations with friends. We have careers, right? Human beings are physically limited. They can only be in one place at one time. And even if you're there with another person, there are real physical and psychic barriers that we will never be able to cross. Basically, what I'm saying is human relationships in our lives, as needed as they are and as wonderful as they are and as important as they are, they can only go so far. The existential presence that we need, human beings will never be able to provide. We long for a presence that goes all the way down. And we long for a face that will never go away. So, um, some time ago, I would say probably well over 10 years now, uh, I was at our uh, regional pastors gathering. So in this region, Bergen County and the surrounding areas, there are a bunch of churches and pastors from those churches, they get together once a month to have lunch and to have fellowship and, and things like that and to complain about how hard it is to be a pastor, right? That's what we do every single month. Well, after this particular lunch over 10 years ago, I asked one of the pastors in, in that group to, to pray for me. Okay, he, he was a guy that I, I looked up to and, and really respected. Now, of course, being the good guy that he is, he said, yes, and so we, we found the private room. We went into another room in the church uh, where they were having the lunch. And I, and I shared with him that I was recently uh, diagnosed with an illness, right? And I asked that, you know, if he would pray for me, pray for my healing. Uh, and so he starts praying for me. 
Um, and the first thing he says is, so you know, he, he puts his hand on me, and he says, in Q1, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm like, okay, thank you. And then he just sat there for like, I don't know, 30 seconds, just in complete silence. And the first words out of his mouth were, Kiwan, someone recently said something very hurtful to you, and it's, ha- it's causing you great pain. Okay, someone recently said something to you hurtful, that was hurtful to you, and very hurtful to you, and it's causing you great pain. And then he went on to pray for that hurt. Now, he did pray for the physical healing, but this was the primary thing that he spent praying for. And I was stunned, my mouth wide open, because it was either just the day before or sometime earlier that week, a congregant, in fact, had said some things to me that were more hurtful than anything anyone has ever said to me in all my years of ministry. And it was consuming me, right? It was literally stressing me out, like I couldn't sleep. Now, I knew I I shouldn't take those words personally, uh, you know, people project on pastors, you know, all the time. It's just part of the job, right? It's part of the job description. But I did take it personally, right? It's hard not to take things personally when people say hurtful things to you. And my coach always says to me, You're, it's part of the job as a pastor. Don't take it personally. But I'm like, they know I'm a human being. <laughs> they know stuff they're saying to me is hurtful. Of course, I'm going to take it personally. So we, I get into arguments with my coach. Now, I didn't specifically ask to receive prayer for that, right? I mean, I probably should have because it was crushing me. Uh, but for some reason, it just, just didn't really occur to me to pray for that. I think maybe in the moment, my, my physical situation felt a little bit more urgent or more like a priority, or maybe I just didn't want to talk about it. But whatever the case, when he started praying for me, and those words, those first words came out of his mouth, tears just started coming down. I mean, I tried as hard, my, my hardest to hide them, but they just came down. And the reason I got so emotional is because in that moment, it hit me that God knows what's going on in here. I asked for physical healing, but God knew me better than I knew myself. He knew the healing that I needed most in that moment was in here. Because my physical stuff resolved itself. You know, I was okay afterward. But this is what I really need healing from. When that pastor said to me, someone recently said something very hurtful to you. And that, was, that wasn't, he didn't know that. It was, a, it was revealed to him by God. So when that pastor said that to me, relaying this information to me from God, I felt seen like I had never felt seen before. God knew me. He was with me. He understood me. He knows how I feel. He knows my story. That's what I felt in the moment, that the presence of God was truly and always with me, and that the presence of God goes deeper than any human could ever go. He knew me fully and completely, and to be known like that moved me like nothing had ever moved me before. The comfort I felt when I realized that God sees me, truly sees me, I knew no human could ever give that to me. Look, you know, I was trained as a seminarian, as a pastor. My, I think my theology is pretty good. So I knew this about God theologically. I knew it in my head. But to taste his knowledge of me and his presence firsthand like that, I realized that is what my soul 
thirsts for. The existential peace of being known and loved by God like that, nothing compares. There's been a couple times in my life when I've been seriously ill, and my parents would be there for me, my spouse, my, my friends, and I needed them. I needed their presence. But what I realized is their understanding of my pain, their presence with me, because they're, they're human, only goes so far. Even my wife, as much as she would try to empathize with what I'm, what I'm going through, I realize she doesn't fully ultimately know or understand. The presence that I, and that's not to say anything bad about my wife. She's freaking amazing, right? But she's a human being. The presence that I need, the understanding that I need, I need it to go all the way down. And only one being, and there's only one being who can do that. It's God. You know, the cross, Christianity, we talk about the cross a lot. You know what that is? That is God saying to us, I see you. If you go to family group, you'll unpack that a little bit more. I'm just going to leave it there for, for, for that particular point. Now, let me tie all of this together for you. Uh, I got permission to share this story um, because the things that happen in our spiritual direction groups were supposed to keep confidential, so I asked permission. So let me just share this story. This happened just maybe a little over a week ago. Uh, we had our spiritual direction group. We get together. It's me and three other people, and then we have other groups, right? But this is my particular spiritual direction group. And uh, this brother, Jason, right, uh, he, he was sharing with us how, you know, he'd been Christian all of his life, and he's felt like he's, he has a hard time discerning God's voice. He's like, I don't know if I've ever had God speak to me, right? Uh, and so he shared, you know, and we, that's what we do in the spiritual direction groups. We'll, one of us will share, and then the other people, they'll listen, and then they will go into prayer together silently to see if, you know, there's anything they would like to share back to the person who shared, or if they, you know, receive anything from God to share back to this person. Well, as I was praying for Jason, just silently, uh, I was all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I was hit with this feeling of nostalgia, Right? Nostalgia for me is always linked to something like music or a smell or some kind of movie or some kind of memory, right? But just out of nowhere, not anchored in anything, I was hit with this wave of nostalgia. I was like, I wonder what that is. Maybe that's something that's going on in Jason's life. So after we, we prayed, I, I shared with him. I said, hey, you know, I don't know what this is. I don't know what this is, but when I was praying for you, I was hit with this wave of nostalgia. Uh, and I feel like maybe God is speaking to you through something like that in your life, and his face is like, uh, that's exactly what I've been doing this past month. I've, with my wife, I've been looking at pictures of our children, just feeling all of this nostalgia, and this is not something that he typically does. Uh, and we explored that, and I said, maybe God is trying to speak to you through those things. Because he, you know, he was sharing with me, he compartmentalizes sometimes in his life, but I said, maybe God in these things is, is actually speaking to you. Uh, and it was amazing because um, we realized in that moment, like, oh, my God, God just spoke to us in the midst of our, our little group here. Now, when you listen to that story, right, do you guys see the synergy that's going on? There, you know, in Jason, there was this existential longing. I want to hear God. You know, I want, I want something about the presence of God in my life. So there was this existential longing that was happening in the midst of our group. But that, that thing is happening in the context 
of friends and relationships. And those friends in that group are on that journey with him. In fact, those friends become conduits of the presence of God for one another. And from my reading of the Bible, God designed it to be this way. God and human relationships reinforcing each other in a way that makes both of those things that much more full and beautiful. You know, your experience of God, I promise you, will be more full with friends. Just like anything in life, right? Food, when you're eating it by yourself, I mean, it might taste okay, but when you're eating with friends, it's, it's better, right? When you're playing a game, right? So come to our game night, by the way. But when you're playing a game, right, it's so much more fun than playing a game by yourself, right? You play cards by yourself. A sunset is better with friends than by yourself. And so is God. Right? But also the flip is true. Friends are more full with God in the mix. Because you will realize the fullness of what friendships could be, of what God designed them to be. And he's the designer. He would know what friendships are ultimately supposed to be like. There is nothing like the company of friends that are grounded in the pursuit of God together. It's filled with some of the greatest joys and delights this side of heaven. I'm telling you, in that moment, during our spiritual direction group, group, there was delight in that room. We were in an office library, not the most delightful room, but there was delight in that room. There is joy in the moment from hearing from God. There is joy for me that God would even use me to maybe speak some truth into somebody's life, to relay that message. There was joy in encouraging one another. It was was actually hilarious because at one point after this happened, Jason was like, but yeah, you know, I don't know when God speaks to me. And then, you know, one of our sisters was like, he just spoke to you. (laughs) What are you talking about? And we started cracking up. So there was laughter and there was wonder. But in the very same uh, spiritual direction group, there were also tears and there's solidarity. And it's all happening in the synergy of Christian fellowship, God and human friendship. Look, I'm not saying you can't have friends who aren't Christian. I'm not saying that at all. You can, and very much so, right? You should have friends who are not of the faith. But the fact of the matter is, there's something about friendships with God at the center. There's something about knowing that Christ binds us together. There's something about knowing that we are family for eternity, There's something about having a shared mission that has eternal implications. There's something about supporting one another and praying for one another in the Spirit. And I can go on and on. For human relationships to flourish and to reach what God wants for us in those relationships and in life, we need the two sides of Christian fellowship. We need God and we need human relationships. Okay, and that's what you see in today's text. God, if in today's text, is at the center, and you see friends in that community enjoying their relationships like they've never enjoyed them before, on toward their journey toward God. And in, if you read the today's text, again, they're, they're supporting one another, they're, they're giving to one another. Now, I know when you read today's text, you're like, oh my God, that sounds like communism. No, 
That's not what's going on, okay? This was freely, this wasn't forced upon them out of their love for one another. And this is actually a very, this is the, the context of that time. You know, they were in situations where some people really were in need and other Christians were like, I'm here to help. And it was the, it was the sort of fellowship where they're willing to do that. So God and Christians living up in that relationship with God and with one another, it's a transformative thing. And this is why you guys should go to family groups. <laughs> You're like, oh, that was a long plug for family groups, right? No, but really, you guys, I'm telling you, we have a good number of people attending family groups, but I know a bunch of you are like, ah, I don't have time, this and that. Uh, but you need things like family groups in your life because you have to have both God and human friendship in synergy. Now, some of you are like, oh, I've tried family groups, and well, yeah, but you know, you can't just try something. You need to lean into it in order to extract what it's supposed to be. Now, other people, other Christians will say, well, I have Christian friends, and I always push them. I say, well, in your friendships with your Christian friends, do you explore God together? Do you pray deeply with one another and intercede for one another? Do you spur one another on toward love and good deeds like the Bible says? Go to family groups. I really, really encourage that. Uh, we have a bunch of groups in our church. We have one on Tuesday, two on Thursday, one on Friday, and one on Sunday. Uh, and you can go to our link tree and you can sign up right away today. Or you can try our spiritual direction groups, right, which we're going to launch again in the new year. Uh, there's a, a sister, I've shared this testimony before, I'm almost done by the way, uh, she, I had to pester her to come to family group. I called her up like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm at home. I'm like, then come out to family group, you're not doing anything. She's like, I don't know, I don't know anybody, right? And I said, just come. And she came. And she kept coming. And it transformed her life. And I was re talking, re uh, recently I was talking to her and she said when she remember that time, it brought tears to her eyes because it literally changed the trajectory of her life. We have a sister in our church. I had to pester again to come, to come out to family group. And he's like, I don't want to go. But I said, come, and like twisted her arm and come. And, and now she has uh, friends that really have been really powerful in her life. Right? And like I talked about my spiritual direction group, last, sun, last sun, so it was two Sundays ago that we had my spiritual direction group. I'm telling you, after church on Sunday, I am pooped. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to go home and sleep. Right? But I was like, oh, my God, I have a spiritual direction group. So I went to the spiritual direction group. And I'm telling you, that was probably, that was, not probably, that was the most joyful energy-giving moment of that entire day. And I went home pumped because of that. Last thing I want to say, and then we'll go into communion. Um, you know, when you go to these groups, as some of you are part of these groups, make it a priority. I know sometimes it's like, well, I got something else to do. What I would encourage you to do is put it in the calendar and say, schedule around it. Because there is something called the ministry of presence. Believe it or not, you think you're not being there is not important, but your being there actually is important. Your presence matters to the people in that group. And so as best you can, try to be as consistent as you can when you come to these groups because the, the ministry of presence is one of the most important uh, ones in the Bible. Okay, we're going to go into a time of communion. Uh, I think our brother Dave just got um, 
went to get the kids. And Pastor Josh, if you can be on standby, I think we might not have an elder, so if we can just put the pads on uh, after. I have a picture for us. Uh, I went to our Presbytery meeting um, the, yesterday, and uh, you know we, we, were, we were just kind of doing these various exercises. And this particular painting, many of you probably haven't seen this painting before. It's, the, it's a painting by a Polish uh, artist of uh, the Last Supper. Uh, and one of the things they asked us to do is, you know, just look at the picture and just meditate on it. But uh, we're not going to do that here. Uh, but what I want you to notice about this, and this kind of struck me when, when I looked at this, is just the diversity of people that were there. Obviously, they're all Jewish because, you know, it was in Israel and uh, the people there were primarily Jewish. Um, but what Jesus is doing in this picture is he's inviting these people to the table. And I imagine myself, if I was at that time and I was one of his followers, Jesus inviting me to the table. What Jesus is doing when he's inviting you to the table is he's saying to you, you belong here. You belong here. You belong with me. I, I don't know if that's hitting you, but for me it was so powerful because oftentimes I come to communion, you know, take the bread, put in the wine. But if you take yourself and imagine yourself sitting before Jesus and Jesus offering this bread and wine to you, what he's saying to you is you belong with me. You belong here. Okay, and I pray that that would be something that can sink into your heart deep and existentially today. Okay, let me pray for these elements. Heavenly Father, we come to the table. This is something that you instituted 2,000 years ago, uh, knowing that we would participate in it. And this is a table that you've invited us to because you are saying to us, we belong here. By eating of this bread and wine, you are saying we belong to you. I pray that that would speak to us as we come to the table today. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen.